This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time, and we have in this whole series of very interesting people a person who has a deep insight into the messages that children need to hear. You know, and she's really written three excellent books about what we need to be saying to our children and how children can think about themselves more constructively. You may recall that we had Dr. Danny Brassell on at Core Brain Journal 253, and he had a very interesting discussion about reading to children and the value of reading to children for overall development of intelligence. And really, in a way, this is a follow-up with that concept because what our guest, Ariane de de Beauvoisin, close. (laughs) Much more than close. Very, very good. Okay, thank you very much. I'm working on my French. So, but Ariane's going to be on in just a moment and we're going to hear from her. I'll give you a full introduction. She is a remarkable person. We'll talk about her in just a second. But first, we're going to mention a couple words from our sponsor. Core Brain Journal is supported by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders that provide improved targeted mind science details globally. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond the standard of guesswork that's currently available. They also provide multiple training webinars for both the public and those medical providers that really want more information on how to use their data more effectively in the offices, wherever. Check out their website. They've got some really serious, good references over there. And here they are put an offer up for our listeners here at CBJ. They are giving away tests. I mean, these are not just $5, you know, whatever. These are valuable tests ranging from immunoglobulin G to oats to, and if you go over to Great Plains, you can see at this link that I'm going to give you the variety of tests that are available and what they have for this special week. So it's at Great Plains Laboratory with a plural, greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ for Core Brain Journal. Take a look and see what you think. So now we're going to run over and we're going to talk about this very interesting Ariana who's going to talk about her and where she came from. She coaches and speaks frequently on issues of personal and professional change, happiness and inspiration, entrepreneurship, women in the workplace, parenting, and the topic of mindful living and conscious business. She is passionate about helping raise happy, conscious, healthy, and empowered kids. She's a best-selling author, a speaker, and has previously worked in the varied fields of counseling, consulting, big media, venture capital, and startups. She considers herself a global soul, interesting, and she has lived all over the world. Ariane has appeared on dozens of TV and radio shows, including NBC's Today Show, the CBS Early Show, CNN and ABC News Now, She recently completed, get this, a TED residency in New York and her TED talk on life skills for young kids will be available soon. Now, 
I told her as soon as she gets it up, we'll load it up on the show notes. Even if it's later on, it's not a problem. We're really looking forward. And I'm gonna, another thing I'm going to ask her about very soon is this whole app that she has, which is totally interesting, called Mindful365.com. But before we do that, let's just find out, Ariane, how did you happen to get into this whole interesting conversation with kids and how we could constructively do something about the conversations so many of us don't have effectively. Mm. So how'd you get into it? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for, for inviting me on your wonderful show. My journey started by living in six different countries, going to many, many schools. My parents are French and Belgian. I was born in the US. And so I, I really was raised with a lot of change, a lot of sort of a more global view of the world, of life, of kids, of growing up that informed sort of one part of me, but the other part that was seriously imprinted, whether it was in my brain, my heart, my mind, was that education above the neck was what was most important, which is academics, study hard, top of the class, get it done, find a safe job, mm -hmm. fit into the world, do what's expected of you, don't disappoint your parents. Mm -hmm. And I had those sort of conflicting, you know, I had very free spirit and I was very sort of wanting to learn and grow and have my spirit and my heart kind of be alive and on fire. And yet the education above the neck was so strong that I kind of buried myself in that. And I graduated at 16 and I came out of college at 19 and I got a Stanford MBA and I, I climbed sort of this very high corporate ladder doing what I thought I should be doing, ticked off all the external boxes that this education had told me was going to make me happy. If you get this, you'll be happy. You do this, you'll be happy. Have the money, you'll be happy. Have the guy, you'll be happy. And by sort of 30, 32, you know, I realized that the educational messages I'd been getting were very far from building a happy child, let alone a happy adult, because I had so much of that. And I climbed this very high ladder and it took me a while to realize it wasn't my ladder and it was certainly not leaning up against the right wall. And so, you know, long story short, I was running a $500 million venture capital fund in New York City at the mm. age of 29, mm. 30, which, you know, is a crazy job in itself. It's a big hour, deal. Big deal, 100-hour weeks. I should have been happy. And yet the, you know, the messages that I were getting were, were not sort of mine. They weren't fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And so I, eventually it took me two years to have the courage to leave. It's very hard to leave a life and a job that, everyone tells you is amazing and perfect. And I broke off an engagement. I left the big job and I went traveling and I started kind of trying to integrate these two parts of myself, the part that was into personal transformation, spirituality, asking life's deeper questions, serving, making a difference, having a worthwhile life. And this kind of very kind of corporate in the world safe existence. And these two mm -hmm. versions of myself were kind of competing and wanted mm -hmm. to be integrating. It's exhausting having two versions of yourself. So I started getting back to things I loved. I started writing. I started reading. I started being with people. I started interviewing people. I started getting with sort of teachers who had in some ways done a little bit of that journey. And I started writing articles, I started publishing books, I started looking at life skills that I felt were missing 
not only in your educational years, but we're missing in the adults, we're missing in corporates, we're missing in mm -hmm. companies. And I did that for nearly eight to 10 years. You know, so I did a lot of keynote speeches and workshops for big companies. I spoke at Google, I spoke at the World Bank, I spoke at Morgan Stanley, I've published books with HarperCollins, mainly around life skills for grown-ups. And one of the things I kept seeing, Chuck, was that most of the wounds and the things that we carry as grown-ups get instilled when we were children. Mm -hmm. And merge that with the fact that, you know, I met my love, the love of my life in Cambodia. I then now have a five-year-old child. And I just became aware that there's not that many voices that are speaking up for our tiny humans. And mm -hmm. I wanted to sort of be part of that conversation and let people know it's, it's urgent. And there's no reason why we're not teaching these life skills that we're now teaching in corporate America in kindergarten, or even when they're three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. And there's an information that needs to be transmitted to parents, teachers, grandparents, who are like, you know, um, of course, we're all trying our best. But how do you teach self kindness to a child? How do you teach them to breathe? How do you teach them about their body? How do you teach them about diversity? How do you teach them about global concern as opposed to self concern? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so there are all these messages for me. And, you know, my, my contribution is starting with these three books, but I'm, I'm being invited to be part of designing curriculums in schools and being mm -hmm. on shows like yours. And so I, mm -hmm. I feel like life is sort of allowing this conversation to really become more mainstream, which is we need to build up the hearts and spirits of our children as much as we're building up their minds. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and I'm so grateful for you coming on the program because so much of what you're talking about has been touched upon by others, but not quite so affirmatively and explicitly with a plan. I mean, I think this is really most engaging and positive to have a person say, look, I, I have a plan. And you haven't said this yet, but by looking at some of the resources you sent out prior to this interview, it looks like you have a plan that's a little bit in the direction of being custom made for certain age ranges. Am I reading that correctly or not? Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm starting with the younger kids and I'll tell you why. So younger, I mean like birth to sort of seven years old, because my, my belief is that even the young, young ones, there's imprinting that's happening at all times. For the TED residency, which I'll tell you about in a bit, one of the things I did was I looked at the impact on the brain of what we're teaching young children and really what is, is there a magic number? And, you know, one of the closest people that I spoke to and I did research on was a guy called Dr. Bruce Lipton. And he says that, you know, perceptions acquired by the age of six become the dominant subconscious programs that shape the character of an individual's life. Six. Wow. So I was like, yeah. wow, you know, yeah, and that means before. everything from the beliefs that you're not even aware that you're instilling, you know, your six-year-old knows whether work is a good thing or a bad thing. Are you doing it to sacrifice? Are you doing it because you love it? Is it pulling you away from what you want to be doing? They have already made up their mind at six if work is something that is good. They know about health. They know what we think about men and women. They know what we think about money. They know what we think about rich people. They know what we think about, you know, like that is installed. And so my hope is to sort of start with the younger ones because they will take this, you know, forward. I think the fact that I have a child that's right in that age group, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously peer groups and I've done focus groups with parents, which is what is it that 
parents are most struggling with in terms of being able to teach or learn or instill themselves. But the big issue, Chuck, is that most parents don't have a tool belt, you know, that helps them deal with stress or disagreement or regret or bad decisions. And so when they themselves don't have that tool belt, it's very hard to give your kindergartner a tool belt on going through tough times or not having friends or being rejected. And so in some ways, my plan is to make sure that I, I'm speaking to the little ones, but I'm taking whoever is around them with me because that is the imprinting. That's the sponge. Well, it's so interesting because if the parents are going to be reading it to them or going to be discussing it with them, that, that is the imprinting, as you said. I mean, yeah. and what happens is, and you didn't say this quite explicitly, but the, you're imprinting the parents as well. Of like, course. Here is a solution. And yeah, you may be talking to your child about this, but think about it. Do you do this yourself? I mean, is this something that happens in your relationship? Does it happen, happen in your business relationships? It's, you know, I like, I like giving this as an example. So in one of the books, you know, each book has eight different life skills. And one of the, the themes is called Bye Bye Bad Day. And the kids love this one. You know, I've done readings at school and they'll tell me what makes a bad day for a four-year-old. And it's fascinating like, you know, as parents, we're always wanting to know and get into the inner life of our child. And, you know, what happened at school does not invite a conversation. And so a lot of these life skills, they invite sort of a much deeper knowing into your child. What makes your child stressed or what makes your child angry or what makes your child? You know, it's amazing. So anyway, bye bye bad day, which is all about a bad day from the view of a child. But I've had so many parents email me on that particular one going, oh my God, I was fighting back tears and I've had a really bad day. And I was hoping to just be able to sort of process it after I got my kid to sleep. And it's interesting how, you know, as, as grownups, we don't allow ourselves to have a bad day either. And, you know, my invitation to the grownups when they listen to that is tell your child about your bad day. It is a normal thing to have a bad day. And your child needs to know that he or she is also allowed to have a bad day. Because this era of perfection and kids can't be grumpy and why are you being so upset? Like your child is allowed to have a whole bad day from morning to night, as are you. And the allowance of that actually, it doesn't have a grip on you anymore. You know, when I come in from having a bad day, I don't hold my breath, pretend to be a super mom up until I get my child to sleep, right? Which is what a lot of us do because he, he will feel it. There's, I'm short, I'm impatient, I'm not present with him, I'm not enjoying bath time, I'm not, I'm not with him. So it's so much easier for me to say, you know what, I had a bad day, I had some things at work that happened, some people were, you know, they, they disappointed me, whatever it is, and the words that they can understand so that he knows this has, mom is not really fully there, <laughs> she might mm -hmm. not want to play, mm -hmm. but this is not about me. And do you see, and so it allows him, and he goes, well, I had a bad day, or, you know, it's okay to have a bad day. And then we wrap it up. This particular life skill is really about wrapping it up, not making it bad, not putting it away, but sort of letting it be complete. And we, boy, do we drag bad days into the next morning and the next week and the next month. And so there's a, there's a letting it go strategy, which is really what you're teaching your child, which is permission to be human and permission to also kind of not have to drag it with you and explain it. And, so that's just well, one example. It's that just is such a good an amazing example. conversation to have it, with your child. It's fantastic. I mean, I think it's so, there are a couple of things. One is in a way without, I think embrace is probably the incorrect word because 
But in a way, you're wrapping your arms around an event and you're talking about your own self. So what happens is when you talk about yourself having an experience, of course, what you're saying, the child has perceived something about you. So you're actually helping that child identify what those perceptions are real mm. and valid as opposed to, I don't know what's going on. I've just puzzled again. Yeah. They don't have words for their feelings, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of very conscious parents, they're going, you know, but what do you feel? And the child is feeling something, but unless they've seen it in you and they've seen it expressed in a healthy way, it's very hard for them to get a sense. And so they see it from school. They see it from teachers the most important people they need to see it from, you know, there's another poem there called Sad and Mad. And it's fine. They can hear the words and they can look at it's beautifully and illustrated in a very fun way. But there's no problem with saying, you know what, I'm a little bit sad. I had to say goodbye to a friend or I had to say goodbye to my mom. And they experience that as being human. In my TED talk, one of the things that I spoke about were three life skills that we really are either not teaching our kids or most need to be teaching our children. And one of them is what I call humanity skills. And by humanity skills, I, I said that we really need to be teaching our children that it's okay to be human and it's okay to be good enough. Not the best, not the top, not the fastest, not have the best grade. It is really okay to be human. And most mm. adults do not allow that, which is why they spend lifetimes of suffering and going after what they think they should do to make themselves feel better about themselves. And, you know, when you put children into that race, you're really setting them up for always being a little bit away from where they could actually just rest into being happy and actually just rest into being good enough. And so, you know, I, I always ask parents, I go, what do you really want for your child? 90% of parents say, I, I just want my child to be happy. Yeah. And if I have permission, Chuck, I go, really? What are you really doing to build happiness in your children? They're in private school. They're learning piano. They're doing Chinese. They're in after school. They're, no, 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 no. That is not building up happiness. That is creating a child that is very loaded up with that stuff. And so it's not a criticism in any way. It's sort of no. It's the just... most important thing a child needs is to be loved exactly the way they are right now. You know, when you say, I love you, Say, I love you exactly the way you are right now. There's nothing for you to be or do or change. It will change a child because they don't know why you love them. Are you going to mm -hmm. love them if they come back with a C or if they didn't score the goal or if they have a tantrum? Oh, that's so beautiful. Right? I love you exactly the way you are right now. There's nothing for you to be or do or change. And the child goes, wow, the love is not going away. It's not dependent on any circumstance of any kind. I never, ever heard that. Well, you know, while you're speaking, uh, I'm thinking and just riding that conversation with you, with you and the child. And I'm thinking about how you're not only expressing an emotion and connecting with them in a real way and giving them permission to be who they are at the moment. Those are pretty straightforward. But you're giving them a language base to really think about themselves in some constructive way. So you're actually, that whole language element of talking about these different things effectively helps them understand their own perceptions. Mm, and very well said, yeah. And they're connected with the world in a real way as opposed to, I really don't know what the heck happened, so really don't ask me. I mean, we see this happen all the time in just in medical practice because you probably don't know this about me, but my interest is over on the biomedical side as well. And, and it's a whole different language base. And it's really interesting because people say, well, 
I don't think I have any capability to understand that. Well, but here's the data and here's what the data means. And that's how you can do something about it. It's like, it's not that difficult if you actually give a person, tag it with some words so a person can then internalize it and know what's actually going on in reality as opposed, I'm confused and I'm just going to have to stay confused. Yeah. No, it's, it's exactly right. You know, I think partly informed by my own story, but I think children need to know that they have an inner life. And, you know, parents are building up their external life, the language, the music, the good school, the education, the being kind to others. Like, that's very external. I think parents really want their children to fit into the world and are doing everything they can to make that happen. And mm-hmm. yet the world of the child is an inner one for so long and it's sort of you need to keep them in their bodies you know i'm a big fan of getting children to sort of you know breathe like really understand the power of their breath and what that does to their brain right and the way i explain it to three four five year olds you've got a left brain you've got a right brain you've got a brain that's you know scared you've got a brain that loves new things i do it in words that work for them And I said, what does your brain need? And they go oxygen and they go movement and they go water and they go good thoughts. And they, you know, this is like life coaching for a three or four year old, (laughs) right? And so when a child has a tantrum, I say to them, I go, your left and your right brain are not being friends right now. What do they, right? And immediately they go into breathing. Now they don't go into boring breathing, you know, cross-legged with white clothes on. We do T-Rex breathing and we do lion breathing and we do, you know, whatever animal they want. But what they're doing is, I explained to my son the other day, that emotions that he's feeling, because he was feeling scared about going to kindergarten, it's a new school. And I said, emotion is energy in motion. I go, what happened? I said, you've got to move the energy through your body. And so we started doing, you know, funny, crazy movements in the street to Mm -hmm. move, you know, and I would say the same thing to adults. It's sort of, it is very hard to be depressed when you are moving right? When you are in motion, it's hard to feel angry or to feel sad. And yet most of us just, we don't move. What I really want to offer both children and teachers, people around them is sort of these tools, which is what do I do when I have like a child that's going through a lot of emotions, right? Here are some examples. How do I teach a child to breathe? You make it fun, you do animals, there's a specific prayer, a poem in there called Take a Deep Breath, and it happens in school. So that, you know, kids realize that life is not only on the outside, which is what it appears to be very, very quickly, and that what's on the inside is just beautiful. One of my favorite life skills to teach kids is intuition, which is not scientific. It's not, most parents have never mentioned the word intuition to their kids, not by the age of 10 or 12. And yet kids are so intuitive. You know, intuition was on the cover of, it was either Forbes or Fortune magazine a few months ago. And it said, is intuition the highest form of intelligence? Well, even if it is, why? We want our kids to be intelligent. Why is it that we don't mention it to our children? Which is a way for them of building self-awareness, knowing they have answers inside of them, self-reliance, self-responsibility. These are all concepts that we want for our children. And so, you know, this intuition thing, I can assure you, the CEOs I've coached, their big decisions they regretted, they always ignored their intuition or gut or whatever you want to call it. People who've gotten divorced, they knew. What's that new with a capital K? It wasn't anything the mind told them yes or no to. It was something else. And so with a three or four or five-year-old, you know, you, you let them know. Intuition means that there is intelligence in every single part of your body. Well, you know, Ariane, I know you didn't mean to tease the audience on this, okay? Because, yeah. but I'm going to 
try to get you into this. We're going to take a break, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to ask you about because you definitely teased me. Tell me. I think it was so cool what you were talking about. You know, the whole business of helping a child really take their own inner drive them, themselves, who they are internally, and identify it and then actually connect that almost pre-consciously with what's going on in the outside world. That whole idea of even considering using the word intuition with a, with a child is just totally provocative. When we come back, I do want to get, that's sort of the uh, emotional question that I want to ask you. And the, and the practical is, how do you actually do that with a child? And right. I want to make sure you break down when we come back the three books that you've written real quickly and a little bit about your uh, Mindful 365 app. I'm really yes. interested in that as well. So, Folks, we're going to be back in just a moment and find out about childhood intuition. Yes, back in a moment. Today, the world of mind, science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain-body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public and medical professions. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSight for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot. They get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences, in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash cbj. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. Well, welcome back, folks, and welcome back, Ariane. This is a very interesting conversation because you're taking us someplace. We've had more than 200 guests, and we've touched upon these issues in some useful ways. But this is really a more profound conversation than we've had with any of our really interesting guests. And I, I think it's just so provocative and so useful. And I think the idea that we could work with a child, I'm going to just tell you this is a quick aside before I ask you the question, but I've always been interested. I think what your your mission is so in touch with something I've thought about for a long time, but never had time to pursue. But I think using mediation techniques with uh, children in grade school and teaching them how to mediate disagreements, it's more superficial than what you're talking about. But that would have been a practice measure that I think if people knew how to actually negotiate, because they have to find themselves to negotiate. I hadn't really thought about this before until you started talking about it. So anyway, that's, that's beautiful. I've been interested in for a long time because I thought if you taught negotiation skills and had them actually resolve conflicts between their, their colleagues and gave them awards for their ability to resolve conflicts or help the conflicts get resolved. 
I'm always amazed at how if you let two kids sort of resolve conflict in the playground, we interfere way too much. <laughs> I'm a big believer in, in watching and noticing and witnessing more so than stopping and interfering and be careful and don't do that. And that's not kind. And you're robbing them from their own resolution of conflict, of answers, of knowing the right thing to do. And of them learning, if I do that, I'm not going to have a friend. If I do that, no one's going to play with me. Like mm -hmm. they won't get that if you are constantly kind of stepping in and taking that growth away from them. That's so true. You're not really facilitating them finding themselves, which gets down to the um, intuition question, because yeah. that is a very profoundly deep question. I mean, I hate to use the word very because it's so doggone trite, mm -hmm. but it's just a serious, serious question. Can you give us a couple words on that? Because I'm sure everybody's curious about it. Anybody that's listening to this conversation as far as deeply into what yeah. your answer going to be on that? Question? You know, I would say this, which is bringing it back to the sort of spirit of a child and even the spirit of a grown-up. You know, how much or how little do you listen and trust your intuition it has a lot to do with what you feel is in first place. And for most people, they've been told their whole life that their mind is what is valuable. It's what they got an A for, it's maybe what they went to college for, but the mind is what's been rewarded. The intuition has never been rewarded. I'm sure no one ever got a test or a present or, or you know, a present or an A for, wow, you really used your intuition and that was the right decision. And so for 18 plus years, we go to our mind for the answer. And the mind, you who know a lot about the brain, the mind goes for survival and protection. And the ego is like, no, 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 that's change or that's different. We don't want that. And so this is what is informing small decisions and big decisions, whether it's for children or, or grown-ups. And so for me, with that sort of setup, I would say that intuition is connecting to something greater than your mind. And not to be religious or spiritual about it, but Children need to feel like they are connected to something greater. And it can be nature, and it can be the universe, it can be stars, it can be love with a capital L, it can be life, it can be animals, it can be God, it can be any form of God that you want. But there is something magical that happens when a child can feel like they are more than just, you know, their small little body or their family that hopefully is going to stay together which in 50% of the case is going to change. So to me, intuition is being connected to something greater than themselves. And that has been shown, whether it's with people who go through change, whether it's people who go through any form of life circumstances, as a big determinant of you know, the ability to be resilient, which is that this intuition of like, what is the right thing to do? What is the answer? All the way to, I lost my toy airplane, where is it? I can use my mind to find it. In our household, I'll say, what's your intuition tell you? Is it under your bed? Is mm. it in your backpack? Mm. Do you see, it's just a question of just, there's another part of you that knows, right? Or what does your intuition tell you that we should buy your friend for his birthday? Do you see, and I'm sort of, I'm engaging another part of him. It doesn't mean that his mind isn't valid. This isn't an either or conversation, but I'm appealing to the rest of him that is below the neck right? Which is what we started with the conversation, which is that also should be having a microphone. And I, I say this with parents, like use your words as to how you 
explain the intelligence of the body, right? The heart is beating without you telling it to, right? You are digesting food without you telling it to. Your body has answers without you telling it to. And they get it that way. And one of the exercises I do with parents and teachers and, and children now is to get kids to draw themselves, you know, which is always fascinating. You can see if they have a smiley face or not. Like they will, what they will draw will inform to you how they view themselves. Are they big? Are they small? And then ask them to put their heart. They'll draw their heart. And, you know, if you have the perception that they have a soul, then tell them, where is your soul? Where is your mind? But the big question is, where is your intuition? And what I see with children who have gotten the concept of intuition is they put their intuition everywhere. They color their arms, their stomach, their legs, which is the right answer. <laughs> the intuition is the intelligence of you with a capital Y. Whether you think it feels like God is giving you answers or you're connected to divine intelligence or just life in general, right? The cosmic wisdom of just generations that have gone before you. It doesn't really matter where intuition comes from. What matters is it exists. And what matters is your child is intimately already connected to that. So our opportunity is just to keep it alive and connected and open. That is so beautiful. I mean, the way you say that is just, you know, it's a great trip to travel with you while you're talking mm -hmm. to the child. I mean, you get the picture. It's fantastic. You, yeah. you draw beautiful metaphoric pictures up there and they just, you can see them up there on the, uh, on the walls dancing mm -hmm. around. And you do yeah. a so let me ask you about the three books. Let's take a moment. This is, gonna, this is not, listeners, an attempt for me to help her be self-promotional at all. I just mm -hmm. think that the fact that she's written three books and they all have kind of a different angle. And if you're listening to our conversation with Ariane, you, you're going to want to know a little bit about the books that she's written. So she's got one. There are three in a row, Giggles and Joy, You Are Loved and Being You. So let's just break them down a little bit if we can. Yeah. You know, I thought about putting them all into one book. But then I thought, you know, 24 life skills is a lot. Like if anything, I tell parents to read one at a time and then just have a beautiful conversation about them or even to just have one as the theme for the week. And mm -hmm. then everyone in the house, all the siblings, everyone's kind of on it. So, the, you know, this one is about telling the truth or this one is about breathing. So every book has eight different life skills. Giggles and Joy is really about the sort of lighter lighter side of the way life is. I think we take life way too seriously. I think we already put that on our child very young. It's sort of everything your life is going to look at. It's about, well, what is happiness and what is joy and what is home, right? And what is what is it with grown-ups that grown-ups, you know, are so unpredictable, you know, and I do that from the perception of a child. Mm -hmm. And I, I named it Giggles and Joy just because there isn't a person on this planet that doesn't need more of that. And it's something that I hope never, ever goes away in the children and that they feel that they, again, ha they are allowed to do that regardless of what's happening on the, on the outside. I think kids laugh like 30 times a day and I think, you know, adults laugh three times a day. So my hope is that we keep it at 30 for a bit longer. We're doing well. We got about 15 now. We're doing okay. good. See, that's good. And you know, You Are Loved, it was really about looking at love that goes beyond performance, beyond grades, beyond any need for something to be there before you are loved. Loved is also, there's a lot about kindness. I'm very big on self-kindness. I think we're obsessed with raising our kids to be kind to others be kind to this person, be kind and say thank you. And please, you know, like that's great. And what we forget is the importance of how kind are they being to themselves? 
what are they saying to themselves? What are they saying about themselves? Do they see themselves as great, amazing, beautiful, magical, worthy, wanted, smart, you know? And I can, I can already hear it in children. It's like they did something and go, I'm the baddest kid in the world, you know? And it's like that is way more important to parent through than them being kind to your mother or their teacher, right? Because a mm -hmm. child who has a kind mind towards themselves will be kind to others. So much of the unkindness that comes out of a child or the bully or the kid that shouldn't be, it's, it's just inner emotions that are, haven't found a place. So self-kindness is a very big one that I go into. There's a lot in the second book about possibility and that, you know, yes is something that they are going to be and do and is possible. Kids hear no way too much. There's a poem on their own change. I did adults books on going through change and transition because change is one of the, it's the second skill that I talked about in the TED talk. We don't teach our kids. We do not teach our kids That's about so change. True. That is so and true. We, we protect our kids from change. We hope things don't change. We keep them in the same school, same church, yeah. same shopping malls, same holidays. And then we throw these poor kids in the world. Everything's changing. And they go, uh-oh, something's changing. Something must be wrong. So change, it's, it's a big life skill from the yes, perspective yeah. of a child. How do you teach your kid about their change muscle? And kids love this one, right? They flex their change muscle. They feel they're building their change muscle. And I've taught this to adults and companies, but I now teach it to kids and they love it. So that's your loved. And the third is being you, which is really about sort of the, the specialness of a child, the, what it means to be a child and the things that children are going to struggle with. So telling the truth is in this one, taking a deep breath and being at school is being in this one. Beauty inside, outside, diversity and how beauty is everywhere if they look for it. Safety. Because as parents, we don't feel we live in a safe world. So guess what imprinting we put on our children by the age of six? Unsafe. Everything is unsafe. And so this life skill is about safety being an inner feeling, right? Yeah, things are going to happen on the outside, but the safety is an inner feeling. It doesn't mean you need to live in a certain place or everyone needs to be perfect and kind. There's one, one of my favorite ones, which is, about, which is specifically about you know, giving yourself permission to make your own choices, even as a child. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of people tell children what to do all the time, <laughs> what they do in after school, what they study, what music. So it's a self-empowerment journey. And it's a, it's an ability in some ways to see your child as sort of your a co-soul, where you remove a little bit of the roles of parent that has such heavy connotations to it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. child has such heavy connotations to it. And, you know, my belief is there's a soul, I'm a soul. As souls, we are completely equal, right? And there's a recognition of equality there. I say to my child all the time, you know, I've been a mom for five years. You've been a child for five years. We're the same, right? <laughs> or my, I only have five years of experience in this. Right. And there's a sort of sweetness and permission. I mean, we do a little mantra where he says, you know, I'm a great kid. I make mistakes and I'm still learning. And I say, I'm a great mom. I make mistakes and I'm still learning. Mm. And we say it to each other. And you see, there's a, we're at the same level. I'm not parenting him to be a good kid. He's helping me be a great mom. I've got five years of this, right? <laughs> <laughs> But do you see, I mean, it changes the superior-inferior dynamic. It changes the heaviness and the weight of, I have to educate and parent. Your children are teaching you all the time. We had an argument the other day, I can't remember about what, and 
within two minutes, my son was like, mom, are we ready to let it go now? And I was like, no, I'm not ready to let it go. You know, <laughs> But like talk about a teaching moment. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I go, let's let it go. Let's take a deep breath. Let's let it go. Teach your moment from the child. <laughs> and that's, yeah. a, that's available at all times. It's I like, mean, just let so, them have that so role. So beautiful. I mean, I think the thing that's, while I'm listening to you again, it's so easy to listen to you and go down the path as we're chatting with the variety of individuals that you're talking about, even your own son. But I think one of the things that is hitting me so often in terms of all the people I see and all the different levels of pathology and confusion and, and strife in adult life and in, in child life as well, is the uh, entire scene of black and white thinking, the reductionistic right-wrong that you're, that you're addressing here. And, and you've said this a couple of times, but I'll just say it a little more explicitly, because what happens is there's so many gray areas that don't have a voice. They don't have a way to engage them and understand them and manage them because it's either this or it's that. And so what happens is this is what's going on globally. I mean, this is what wars are about. This is what people who wish to go out and kill people, this is all black and white thinking where they have no resources and they're lost because they don't have that skill set that you're talking about here. I really appreciate it. And you know what, what comes to me when I listen to that is I think so many of us, you know, we take on the parenting journey. We either parent in similar ways that we were parented because we default to that or we didn't turn out that bad or, you know, you went to Catholic school, we'll get, kids will go to Catholic school or you went to, you know, this summer camp, your kid will go to the summer camp. Like there's a reparenting in some ways, which is great and I fully honor. Or people do the opposite right? Which is, oh my God, I had a horrible childhood. I don't want to be anything like my mom or my dad. I'm going to do things completely differently. And neither one of those are, are right in yeah, some ways. Yeah. There's a sort of, there's an other way where it's sort of, it's not I'm aligned with my parents or I'm against my parents. Yeah. It's sort of a, I'm doing what's showing up right now for me in the present moment with whatever level of thinking consciousness is available to me right now. Mm -hmm. And that to me is, is more important than kind of going into black, white, either or, right? This is wrong. This is right. And, and to also give yourself a break that, you know, nothing you're going to do with your child is going to be black, white. If I don't get my kid into the best school at five, this is going to happen. Like, do you see there, there's sort of like this dramatic effect of if I don't teach my kid, you know, music or if the brain was whatever is going to happen. And, you know, yeah. like, I, again, it's sort of a lightening up of the role as yeah, parents. Yeah. Like, just, just hold your child. Just connect. Look at them in the eyes. Like, <laughs> that's, they want to feel you and see you. And there's sort of a relaxing into you really do know what to be and do already. And, that's the embrace that I would want to give people. Oh my gosh. Well, it's, I said it before, I'll say it again. It's, it's quite profound. And what I'm thinking about while you're talking about it is that in a way, and this is going to sound somewhat reductionistic, but I think it's an accurate representation of some of what you're talking about. And that is because we don't have these skills. Generally speaking, the abundance of human beings don't have these skills. That's why these books are so absolutely important. So what they have, what we have, what I had as a, as a kid myself, one of the reasons I got into psychoanalysis and psychiatry and all this other stuff is because I didn't know it until this very moment talking to you that I had had gray anxiety. Now, I love 
the gray world, okay? I'm, I'm there because somewhere along life's way, I've started thinking about some of the things you've been talking about, not as explicitly and carefully and really beautifully as you've described them. But the bottom line is, I think we really grew up with a lot of gray anxiety and people solve the gray anxiety by dichotomous linear thinking. And so then what happens is there's, it's either this or it's that, give me a break. You know what it is. And instead of overcoming the anxiety by really identifying where you are at that moment in that context. And what I would say is, you know, any decision or anything you do informed from anxiety or fear is always the wrong decision, right? And so as children, we grow up with the existential questions. We all have them. We've all carried them. Am I good enough? And am I loved? Or even am I lovable, right? And so because those are there and they're imprinted so early on, am I good enough? Am I loved? Which is why I wanted a book to be You Are Loved, right? Mm-hmm. And in that po- that specific life skill, it's like you are good enough. It's like I specifically wrote it because I want children to hear it 50,000 times yeah, before yeah. They, someone tells them in the world that they're not good enough. But to me, it's sort of, you know, when those are there so young, what we do throughout our teenage years and our adult years is we do everything we can to feel good enough and feel loved. Get married, we have kids, we have jobs, we go to school, we try and look good, we try and do the right things, we run marathons, we climb, like, and it's all about still trying to feel good enough and loved. It's why people want to be famous, it's why people want to be significant, it's why people want to be noticed right now all over social media. And we keep adding to those strategies, more, 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 every new year, more, more goals. Instead of looking at what actually is in the other hand, which is how about I deal with the I'm good enough, I'm loved question. And then the strategies just go away. If you want to run a marathon, great. If you want to build a business, great. But it's not informed from the I'm going to do this because deep down, unconsciously, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel loved. I don't feel seen. I don't feel recognized. I don't feel like deal with those feelings. Hmm. And then like all the control strategies for trying to get rid of those feelings go away. So that's my hope. It's like, let's be with the young children so that they don't take that on as their life filter, right? Where everything else they're going to do is going to be filtered by those questions. I still struggle with those questions. All the coaching I do with grownups. The most successful people I've ever coached struggle with those questions. You well, know, I think Oprah, Oprah said it better than I. She interviewed 65,000 people on her show, whatever number it was. She said there was not one person she interviewed that when the cameras went off, they didn't turn to her and say, how was I? Was I okay? Not one person. These are the top celebrity, amazing people in the world. Not what They all needed to know. Was I okay? Am I good enough? Validate. Please let me know. Right? That is living in the gray. I mean, when, the, when yeah. you're living in the gray, you have to identify who you are by some yeah. external source, whether yeah. the person says that they're an expert or whatever yeah. it happens to be. Yeah. You need to get that identification because you don't have the internal. Yeah. Kids feel good enough until something happens, right? And does it happen at home? Does it happen at school? We have a thing that we do questions at the dinner table, different questions. And one of the questions we ask often is, you know, what do you love about yourself? And my child always says, I love everything about myself, right? <laughs> and my husband and I are like struggling. Uh, <laughs> I love my hair. I love my, like, you know. And it's so amazing to see the difference. Like my son looks at me and goes, that's like, a, what a stupid question. I'm like, I love everything about myself, <laughs> right? And that's what I want to keep alive. Absolutely. I'm not saying my child is yeah. special, but children will say that. Uh, I love everything. I love my feet. I love my nose. I love my eyes. <laughs> that's the magic. That's what I want to just 
keep there and alive. And the books are just one small, small way of hopefully doing a bit of that. What beautiful reportage from the frontier of child, uh, children development, child development. It's just really fantastic. Ariane, and I'm going to try that last name again, De Bonvassin. That's right. Very oh. good. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for coming on board. Listen, tell people where they can get in contact with you. I'll have all these connections on the show notes, folks. But Ariane, if you just uh, close of with course. that, best place for us. Yeah, so the website for the books is gigglesandjoy.com. The books are, of course, available on Amazon. They're available as a gift set all three of them together. And my personal website is Ariane Studio, A-R-I-A-N-E-S-T-U-D-I-O. And that has, you know, life skills for grown-ups as other books. It has the app Mindful 365 for people who want to learn, want to grow, want to sort of do some of this inner work, but are busy. They're in busy lives, busy cities. So this is an app that will take you on a journey. We kind of help you through it day by day by day. You don't have to go to yoga. You don't have to read a book. We're just, we're with you. We're with you in your phone where you already are. And that is mindful365.com. I've got to run over and look at it. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on board. Thanks for the lovely conversation. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.